Well, this morning, we continue our series of entitled The Importance of the Church. And last week, we started um, talking, as we started, we were talking about the importance of the church and how God designed the church and established the church and how important the church is to God. You are valued by God as the church. Now, we're not talking, remind, let me remind you, about the building or the organization. We're talking about what? The people of God. Because the word church is a Greek word in the New Testament, ekklesia, which means the called out ones. Called out of what? Called out of darkness. Called out of uh, lostness. Called into savedness, if that's a word. Called into a relationship with God. And that's who we are. We've been called and set apart. And so God has a purpose with the church of bringing people to himself. Now, you may or not, may or may not have ever heard of a guy named Cyprian. That's the short version of his name. He has about six different names as his real name. But Cyprian lived in northern Africa uh, in the 200s. In fact, he was born in 200 AD. You're going, here he goes in history. Well, there's a point. Hang in there with me. He became a follower of Jesus after he became an attorney. So there's hope for attorneys so they can come to know Jesus. My daughter's wanting to be one, so I'm just kind of kidding a little bit with you. But he, uh, he came to know Jesus. And then a few years after that, he became a bishop or what you and I would call a pastor in uh, what is today Tripoli, northern uh, Africa. But at that time, Christianity was not legal. But he talked a lot about the church and about establishing the kingdom of God there in that part of the world. And he said this. He said, no one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. Let me say that again. No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. Now, what he was saying was the church is important. The church has a place of nurturing in our lives. The church has a place of encouragement in our lives. The church helps us to grow in our faith. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is the importance of the church to my faith. For you, I want you to make that very personal. I want you to say, to my faith. Don't say to the pastor's faith, but to my faith. Because the church has an important role in helping us grow in our faith in Christ. Let me remind you, the word ecclesia is the word church. We're called out. And he writes this letter in Hebrews. He writes a letter to a group of people who have been called out, not out of a pagan background, but out of ritual, out of religion, out of Hebrew Judaism. They have been brought out of that into a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And he wants to encourage them in that. And he wants to encourage them in their walk with the Lord not to walk away from Christ. That's a good word in any age. But because Jesus has brought these people salvation, what was their response? How should they live? How does the church play a role in their life? How does the church serve, in a sense, as our mother? to us, to nurture us, to encourage us, to help us to grow in our faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to look at a passage from Hebrews chapter 10. The last part of it is probably going to be fairly familiar to you. In fact, the last two verses of this passage was always on the bulletin at the church where I grew up. I read it every week as a kid. I was reminded of this important truth of the importance of gathering together and being the church of God. But I want you to look at the whole passage with me before we break it down. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 19 and following. Therefore, let me just stop right there. Anytime you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you want to ask yourself this question. You've probably heard this before. What's it there 
4. What in the world? It's a, it's a major shift going on in the text. He's been talking about the relationship to God, the relationship with Christ, the walking with Jesus. And then he comes and says, therefore. And he's going to lay out some things that I want us to see this morning in the message. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to build a sentence this morning on the outline. So if you'll see in the bulletin, if you've got it in front of you, or if not, you're watching on the line, online on the screen, you'll see it as we work through it. I want to build a sentence that kind of summarizes what he's talking about here. The first thing I want you to see is this, because we have a great confidence. Because we have a great confidence, look at the verses again, verse 19, 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Now, remember, he's writing this letter to Hebrew believers, people who have come out of Judaism into a relationship with God. They would have heard these words and they would have gone, wow, that sounds familiar. Because the way they interacted with God in the Old Testament was this. They would come to God at the temple and they would have a high priest go into the temple through the the curtain and they would splatter or sprinkle blood on the altar on behalf of those outside. We find places in the Bible where we get this word, therefore, and we want to say, okay, what's he talking about? Before they knew God, they had no standing with God. They had no pathway, no confidence to come to God. They were lost. They lacked the ability to to make God-honoring decisions. But bluntly stated, they were living before Christ in a stale religion. The people in the Old Testament had taken what was supposed to be a living relationship with God and turned it into ritual turned it into a religion instead of a relationship. They were lost on a road in a hurry to nowhere, and they lacked the ability to make those decisions. But as a direct result of hearing the gospel accompanied by the call of God, they found a confidence to come to God. Now they could come to the holy of holies, to the holy places through the blood of Christ. They could come to God, and, and instead of having to rely on intuition or on somebody else, the, the curtain has been opened for them. We now have access. His flesh, his broken body, opened that door for them. In that moment, God made the way for all followers to come to Jesus boldly, confidently to God. And it was through his work that was provided. No longer do they need others to intercede. No longer do they need a high priest, at least a human high priest, to bring them to God. And the way was open. Here's what I want you to catch, first of all, is this. As a result of faithfulness to God and his church, I have confidence to come directly to God. You're going, why did you add to his church? I think there's an importance that we need to grasp here about the role of the church and the importance of the church. And I'm not talking again about the facility. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about you, the church, the called out ones. 
We, we don't talk about it very often, but part of what Jesus did at the cross, in addition to being a sacrifice for my sin, was he did this. He opened the door for us to what? To come to God. We don't need an intermediary here on earth to help us to do that. We don't need a priest to help us do that. We don't need a pastor to help us do that. We don't need a, somebody else to help us do that. We can now what? Come directly into the presence of God. The priest was no longer needed to make sacrifice. We didn't need, we don't need intermediaries. We have confidence. To the Hebrew, this would have been a fundamental shift in the way they were living and thinking and serving. Let me remind you where this happened. Over in Matthew chapter 27, we read these words. And Jesus cried out with, again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, what happened? The curtain of the temple was torn, watch this, in two from where? From top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now let me stop a second and help you understand a little bit about Hebrew religion, how they were set up by God to have worship. They would have these inner holy of holies. It was surrounded by a curtain. Now you're thinking, okay, a curtain's about that tall. No, these were curtains. Curtains. They were like 30 feet, 40 feet tall. They were huge, massive things. And nobody went into the holy of holies at all but once a year. The high priest would consecrate himself. They would sacrifice animals to get ready to go into that place. And he would take with him the blood to sprinkle and to, to put on the altar inside for the atonement of sins for those outside, for the nation, for a year. And they would do it again next year. But on the day that Jesus died, at the moment Jesus died, the curtain was torn, not from bottom to top. And you're going, what does it matter? Big deal. I can, at the bottom of the curtain, I can get a little cut in it and I can rip it open, right? No, this curtain was torn from the top to the bottom, indicating it was God himself who opened the door, opened the way. And because of faithfulness to God, commitment to his church, I have the confidence. I have access. You have access to what? Come directly to God. Praise God, right? I don't have to depend on anybody else to get me to God, any other human to get me to God. I don't need a priest to make a sacrifice. Jesus' death on the cross eliminated the need for a human helper. Instead, we have been given confidence. Now, where did I learn this truth? At the church. Through the body of Christ, teaching and sharing and helping me understand more about God. Why is the church important to me? Because it's helped me to grow in my faith. It's a place of importance to us. Second, not only because we have a high, uh, a great confidence, we also have a great priest. And you're going, oh, wait a second, you just said we don't need a priest. We don't need a human priest. Look what it says in verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, you can almost capitalize that word priests to help us understand who he's talking about. Who's he talking about? He's talking about none other than Jesus himself. You go, but we're Baptists. We don't have priests. Let me tell you something, Baptist friends. We better have one high priest that we still have a relationship with, and his name is Jesus. Because that's who gives you and me access to God. You see, even though we've been forgiven of our sins, we still struggle with this sinfulness that just kind of hangs on to us like this nasty old yuck, right? And we need forgiveness. We need his presence. We need him to give us access. So when Jesus came and t broke the veil, uh, what he did and what God did through that process, he made the way for you and me to have access to God. But we still have a priest who gets us there. Concepts kind of foreign to us in a democratic society, foreign to us in a Baptist church especially, because we think, I don't need anybody. I am a high priest myself. 
And we do, by the way, by the, by the way, by the way, we do believe in the priesthood of the believer. You do have the ability to come to God. Don't misunderstand. But the reason you have that access is because of our high priest, our great priest, Jesus. Gives you that door. Here's what happens in that moment. He changes. The change happens in the way he looks at us. He gives us access. He gives us this transformation. It's kind of like many of you wear glasses like I do. And by the way, I take my glasses off and y'all don't look any different much to me up here. I I can see pretty well out there. Y'all are a little fuzzy at this point. But I could probably pick you out in a lineup at this distance if I had to. But I don't have to. However, when I look down here, ain't nothing there. I need these things to be able to read. Now, you're going, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, let me tell you something. When God looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of Jesus. He sees you covered with the presence of Jesus. And because of that, he looks at you and sees Jesus, which means he sees holiness, he sees perfection, he sees righteousness in that moment. That's what our high priest brings us. And that brings me to this thought. In Christ, we have now amazing access to holy God because of his presence in our life. Through the work of Jesus in life, primarily discovered in the local church, we grasp the powerful truth because of the work of Jesus, we have access. He opened the door. Earlier in Hebrews, the writer there, and I think Paul probably wrote Hebrews. There's no explicit evidence of that, but I think he was the writer. He he said this in, in chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and time uh, help to help in time of need. Again, we struggle with the concept of a high priest. I don't need a priest. I have access to God directly. I don't need anybody else. I agree with you, but let me tell you something. You need Jesus to have that access. You need Jesus to open the door for you. I need Jesus to open the door for me. On my own, I have no standing before a holy God. On my own, any good I think I have is a filthy rag. On my own, my ability to interact with God is seriously hampered by my ongoing struggle with my human nature. I need Jesus because in Christ, we have access to God. However, as I've grown in faith as a result of the blessed connection with the church, I understand more and more who my high priest is, Jesus. He is my intervener. He is my pleader. He's my coverer. He's my redeemer. And yes, he's my high priest who stands in my place before holy God. Praise his name. So because we have a great confidence, and we have a great high priest, therefore we have a couple of things. One, we have great assurance. You know the old song? I started to tell you, we call this thing that one, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. He brings us an assurance, doesn't he? Verse 22 says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we have great confidence, we have a great high priest, and as a result, we have great assurance. 
through the faith that's been released. A direct result of faith released in your life and my life because of the work of God with an assurance with Jesus is this. It brings a true heart. Let us draw near with a what? True heart. It brings release from an evil conscience. Aren't you glad? You don't have to live with that evil conscience that's there. He'll set you free. And it brings a purity of our existence. What he wanted them to understand is the amazing, blessed, great assurance in which they lived. And because of the work of the great high priest and their answering the call to follow his call, they have been changed. There's an assurance there. A direct result of faith set loose in our lives and their lives was that their consciousness released, their existence is now pure. And they needed to remember because of the work of God in their lives in the church, they gained an assurance they never had before. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. In Christ, they were on a new path, a new new direction. Can't even read my own notes. They could live without doubt. Let me tell you this. A direct result of faith in Jesus is that we live with great assurance. You go, you mean you never have doubt? No, I have doubts. Do you ever have doubt? You have doubts. But we have an assurance overall that there's something better, something greater coming in our lives. God uses the church to reveal himself in this world. We talked about that last week. He uses people like you and me gathered in his name to do what? To lift him up. The scriptures tell us he inhabits the praises of his people. He uses people like you and me to proclaim his name. He uses people like you and me to share the gospel. And one of the primary results of this faith being released in your life and mine is a mind-boggling confidence that says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep me, keep that unto him against that day. We know he holds us. But you might ask, how do we get on the pathway in the first place? Paul talked to the Romans about that. He said this in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes where? Through the word of Christ. But where was the word of Christ? It was the Old Testament. But let me tell you something. Where do we hear the word of Christ now? I'm going I'm to ask you, just don't answer me out loud because we don't have time to do that. But think back to all the sermons that you've listened to in your life. Some of you, it's quite a few. Can you tell me details of any one of them? Yeah, me either. I've listened to preachers. I've listened to teachers. I've listened to Bible study leaders. I've listened to college professors, seminary professors. I've listened to other people teach God's word. And can I tell you something? I don't have a list anywhere of any of them. You're going, well, you weren't listening, were you? That's not my point. I was listening. At one point, I wrote notes on a lot of it. Where did it end up at? Same place it ends up in you, in our hearts. And in our minds, faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from what? The word of Christ. I will guarantee you, you'll leave here today, and you won't remember 99.9% of what I said this morning. I promise you. I think most of you are listening. But the Holy Spirit will take something and place it in you. He'll take something and put it in your soul that you need to hear. Where do you find that at? <clears throat> the church? See, 
the importance of coming together is not just in fellowship and, and worship, but it's also in letting the Word of God fill us with His presence and His grace, to let Him fill us with His love. You say, well, I don't particularly care for the preacher at my church. I don't want to listen to him. You know what? I've been to churches. I didn't particularly care for the preacher there either. Did you know that? And I learned some stuff from those men. Anyway, because God worked through them. Faith comes from hearing. We have this assurance because of his word. And we have, number four, a great hope. A great hope. You remember a few years ago we had a presidential candidate and then finally a president who was from where? From hope. Now how lucky was that guy to be from hope? He could say, I'm from hope. Everybody loves hope. Can I tell you a secret? He didn't live in hope very long. He grew up in Hot Springs. But be that as it may, great line, wasn't it? But I got a hope greater than that. I got a hope in Jesus. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. A second outcome of us having a great confidence in our high, great high priest is the great hope we find. Paul wanted the people to whom he wrote to grasp this change in their lives because of Jesus. He wanted them to know they could hold fast to an unmovable rock in their lives. Remember, they've been saved out of what? Not out of old, uh, abject paganism, but they've been saved out of legalism, of ritual, of religion. They've been saved out of all this kind of stuff. You know, in, in, the, in Jesus' day, they had something like 613 laws that they were supposed to keep up with. You said, I thought there were 10 commandments. Go, go read the Old Testament and start writing them all down. You'll come up with 613 of them. And on top of every one of those laws, the religious leaders would add rules to help them keep the laws. They would add this rule, and they'd add this rule, and they'd add this rule. And they'd go, Let me tell you what, there was no way under God that you could keep up with all the rules. That's why Jesus came, to set us free. And then because of all those rules, you know what kind of hope they had? None. No hope of getting it right. Instead of looking to God, they looked to the rules. And they were raised to look to ritual. In the process of all that, they lost hope. And Jesus came and set us free to give us hope. And because of my faith in Jesus, I now live with eternal hope. Do you? It's easy in this old world to become downcast, doesn't it? It's easy to become despondent. Let me tell you what, this last year and a half was tough, wasn't it? You think, man, is, there, is, there ever, is, it gonna, is this the rest of our lives? Is this the way it's going to be forever? It's easy to come to a place where you go, hope doesn't seem to exist anymore. But Paul told the Hebrew believers to whom he wrote, and I think you and me by extension, because of the faith released in our lives through the work of Jesus, we now live with eternal hope. The writer of the Psalms spoke about this when he said this, Rescue me, O my God. From the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope. My trust, O Lord, from my youth. He is our hope. He is our hope. When the world seems to be headed in the wrong direction, Jesus is our hope. When attacks seem to be coming on every side, 
Jesus is our hope. When it seems to be no way forward, Jesus is our hope. And when all hope seems to be lost, we're reminded that Jesus is our eternal hope, my friends. For it is in these moments God's presence is felt most. And we're reminded of him. So because of his, we have this great confidence and we have this great high priest, Jesus. We have assurance, a great assurance. We have a great hope. But we also have one more thing, a great responsibility. Many preachers will focus on verses 24 and 25 and stop right there. And I think it's uh, appropriate to look at these verses. We're going to. But I think the context is important to grasp it. It's a bigger idea than just go to church, which is how it's often presented. Look at verse 24. And let us consider... Let us consider how to stir up one another to what? To love. And, good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As a result of this great confidence we have in the Lord and the work of the great high priest in our lives, we have great assurance, we have great hope, but we also have a great Responsibility. I want you to see this, these two verses in the context of the broader section here. Jesus brings confidence. He serves as our high priest. He leads us to assurance and hope. But he also expects from us certain actions that come as a result of his working in our lives. Here they are. We're called to what? Stir up one another. Some of you are really good at stirring up. But I ask you, are you good at stirring up to love? to stir up to good works. That's what we're called to do. We're called to abide with each other. You know, you know, you know what that means, don't you? It's not neglecting to meet together. I need the church. You need the church. We need each other. That's what he says, not neglecting to do it. And that's the habit of sons. But we're supposed to what? Encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day. Let me break these down just real quickly. There's five things here under this section. I want you to see them, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them, but we're going to blast through them pretty quickly. First, this idea of his presence in our lives allows us to love one another. You go, but I've been at church, and there's some of those folks who are not so lovely. Hey, you know what? I've been there too. I've seen them too. Some of you say, well, you're him. I might be. But let me tell you something. In Christ, we're called to what? Stir one another up to love. I'm going to encourage you to love. That's a calling we have, friends. You know, know, if everyone was perfect, it'd be a lot easier to love them. (laughs) Yeah, it would be, but that'd be called heaven. You won't have to worry about it then. Think about how we love each other. To love one another. If we have to love on our own, you're going to fail. If I have to love you on my own, I'm going to fail. But in Christ, I can do what? I can love you. Does that mean I have to agree with everything you do? No. Do I have to love everything you do? No. But I I do love you. And there's a difference. Second, there's an outcome of stirring each other up to good works. You say, well, faith doesn't come from works, it comes from faith. I mean, salvation doesn't come from works, it comes from faith. I understand that, but the result of salvation is we do good works. That's what James tells us over in his, his letter. So one of the things we're supposed to do in our responsibility is to stir each other up to good works. 
Because of faith released in in their lives and our lives, they would inspire each other to be faithful. They would live an inspiration of faithfulness to encourage each other. Third, there would be a deep, innate desire to gather with other believers. I firmly believe a child of God doesn't have to be cajoled or begged, begged to gather with the church. You want to do it. If I had time, I'd tell you a story of a, a, a happenings in our family about, oh, 20 years ago, 18 years ago, where we found ourselves not serving a local church for a season. It was a weird story. Had people barking in it, but anyway, I digress. We found ourselves not serving a local church. I want you to know the next Sunday morning, well, before next Sunday morning, we said, where are we going next Sunday? Can I tell you something? I really wanted to say nowhere. But in my spirit, I said, I don't have a choice. A child of God gathers with God's people. And we got up and went to a, what was it, a Methodist church or a evangelical free church or something we didn't go back there. We went to another one and went to another. We ended up going to a Presbyterian church for a few months. Weird, huh? Baptist pastor with a doctorate from a seminary in New Orleans going to a Presbyterian church. But we couldn't not be with God's people. We went and we worshiped. We need that. Fourth, we try to encourage each other, encouraging one another. Man, let me tell you what, this world we live in, there's a lot of negativity. Go Tell us something we don't know, Patrick. You read social media, you read the news, you read anything electronic anymore, it seems like it's negative, 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 negative. It's all bad. We have to be careful what we allow into our souls, but we have a calling from God to encourage each other. What's a good thing going on in your life this week? What's a positive thing in your life this week? Oh, no, nothing good. It's all bad. Can't be. If you're a child of God, there's got to be something good, right? There's good somewhere. And fifth, I'm going to phrase it this way. They live with an expectation. It's phrased in the, in the Hebrew passages, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How many of you believe that we're getting closer to the end of this world it seems to be rushing, doesn't it? Things keep getting crazier and crazier and crazier. I think we're just catching up with the rest of the world, to be honest with you. And all if that's a good thing or a bad thing, probably not so much a good thing. But here's the thing in child, as a child of God, we need to be living not with a, oh, it's all bad, it's all bad, it's all terrible, it's all falling apart, but with an attitude that says, God's gonna. Can I tell you something? When it all comes down to the end, God's gonna. He's going to take care of it. He's going to sort it out. He's going to figure it out in the end, right? And he's going to bring those of us who know him to be with him forever. God's going to. We need to live with that expectation. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. Here's the thought I want to leave you with on this point. Is living for Jesus results in a positivity far beyond our ability. Many of us struggle with being positive. I do. I have family members who struggle with it. I've got friends who struggle with it. I've got enemies who struggle with it. We all struggle with it. God designed the church not only to be the primary vehicle for the gospel to be shared with the world, but the primary place where we're able to serve the king. And one of the amazing things about the church, 
the called out ones, is it serves as the place where our gifts and talents are released. Listen, we need to serve elsewhere. We need to let Christ lead us as we go through each day of each week, living for him, doing the things he has for us. But something special happens when he brings us together as the body of Christ, as the ecclesia, as the called out ones in this church, in this local expression of the body of Christ. When you came to know Jesus, he did something for you that you may have not ever thought about, but he gave you not only the Holy Spirit, but he gave you at least one spiritual gift. He may have given you two or three. I guarantee you he didn't give you all of them. And there's a reason for that. He has given you those gifts so that you can accomplish certain things in the kingdom of God, that your giftedness will carry you into service and ministry through your local church. But here's the beautiful part of it. He didn't give you all of it. Why? Because if he gave you all of the gifts, you wouldn't need anybody else. In Christ, you have one or two or three maybe. And he brings you along with others to accomplish things that you can't do on your own. So as you answer his call to be faithful, you're going to find doors begin to open. You're going to find places he's designed you to do realized and open for you. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the years in ministry is this. It is okay for somebody to try and fail, but it's not okay not to try. It's okay to try and fail. You're, what do you mean? You want us to, oh, I didn't say I want you to fail, but it's okay to fail. You know, I've tried some things in my time in life uh, in ministry and service of churches, and I discovered real quick, that ain't my, that's not me. So I don't go there again, right? I go do something else. It's okay. How do you find out you're not good at something unless you try it, right? You try it, you fail. Move on to something else. It's okay. But here's what happens is God opens the door for you. Look at Proverbs 18, 16. It says this, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. Your giftedness will open the door for you to serve, and you will have a positivity far beyond your ability when you find the place he has for you to serve. The gift or gifts of God has given you will open the door in time. And if you're part of his kingdom, you'll serve. But how does that start? It starts by coming to know Jesus. I believe without a shadow of a doubt, you cannot serve Jesus until you know Jesus. You cannot serve in the kingdom of God until you have a relationship with the king. How do you do that? By trusting him with your entire life. You say, well, I joined the church. Again, listen, I've said this over and over, and I'll probably say it over and over until I die or can't talk anymore. Joining a church doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You need Jesus. You need to come to that place where you trust him with your entire life and you surrender yourself to him. We want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Maybe you need to trust him. It's as simple as talking to God in prayer and saying, God, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. Or maybe you say, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good guy. I just don't know you. Would you save me? Would you set me free? Will you bring me new life so I can live for you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be gathered in your house today. We pray for those who need to respond to you, either personally right in their seat, and say, God, I know I know you, but I'm not living for you. Help me to do that. Pray for those who need to respond publicly. We ask your hand on them as well. And Father, we pray right now that we would respond to you, not to a preacher, not to a moment, not to an emotion, but Father, to your leading.
to be what you want us to be. We thank you for the opportunity to be gathered in Jesus' name.